Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to the DHX Media Doing Business as Wild Brain Fiscal 2020 First Quarter Earnings Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during that time, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I'd now like to turn the call over to Nancy Chan Palmatier, Director Investor Relations at Wildbrain. You may begin your conference. Thank you, Operator, and thank you everyone for joining us today. Speaking on the call today are Eric Ellenbogen, our CEO, and Aaron Ames, our CFO. Also with us and available during the question and answer session is Josh Sherba, our President, and Daniel Neath, our EVP of Finance and Chief Accounting Officer. First, we have some standard cautionary statements. The matters discussed on this call include forward-looking statements under applicable securities laws with respect to DHX Media doing business as Wildbrain, including but not limited to statements regarding the management and business reorganization, expected cost and savings associated with such reorganization and use of such savings, the rights offering, the term loan amendment, the business strategies and operational activities of the company, and the finance, and the future financial and operating performance of the company and its assets. Such statements are based on information currently available and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties. Actual information currently available, actual results or events in the future could differ materially and adversely from those described in the forward-looking statements as a result of various important factors, including the risk factors set out in the company's most recent MD&A and annual information form. Please note that all currency numbers are in Canadian dollars. For the question and answer session that will follow, we ask that each analyst keep to one question with one follow-up so that everyone has a chance to ask questions. If you would like to ask an additional question, please rejoin the queue. I will now hand the call over to our CEO, Eric Ellenbogen. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, Good early morning to everybody on the call. Thanks for joining. Um, Aaron will dive into the earnings in just a minute, but uh, before I hand the call over to him, I wanted to share with you some business uh, highlights from the quarter. So as uh, I mentioned during my first call last time, uh, we continue to make good progress across our core initiatives, creating premium content, growing our ad-based video-on-demand business, AVOD, uh, both in viewership and improving cash flow. On the premium side, we've delivered to Apple all 12 episodes of the first new original Peanut series, Snoopy in Space. It premiered on November 1 exclusively on Apple's uh, new streaming service, Apple TV+. Um, This service, um, if you haven't already heard, will be free for one year on all new Apple devices, and analysts have estimated they will ship over 250 million devices in 2020 alone. So we continue to generate steady consumer products revenue from Peanuts, and we believe that the global exposure on Apple TV Plus will be a positive for our consumer products business. Um, It should serve to extend the Peanuts brand into a new generation of kids and families around the world. Uh, This first uh, new series is just the beginning. More new Peanuts content is in the works for uh, Apple and at our studios. Um, I should add that the Peanuts production has considerably upped our creative game, and I think it's absolutely the best work our company has ever created, and it is the standard to which we will aspire. Um, We're also getting uh, our own IP partner brands in front of a huge online audience through Wildbrain Spark, which is our AVOD network. Um, Remarkably, we grew viewership by 66% in the first quarter, over 12 billion views and passed a new milestone of 4 billion views per month. And this is up from 3 billion monthly views last year. Uh, More than 65 billion minutes of video were watched on our network in the first quarter, which is up 43% from a year ago. 
Um, we see significant potential for monetizing our large and growing viewership on Wild Brain Spark, and we're pursuing multiple initiatives to do so. YouTube is making the necessary changes to involve into a safer environment for kids, uh, which we fully support. And this is leading a flight to quality in kids' content on YouTube, and we're ideally positioned to benefit from that. Uh, also during this quarter, our management and business reorganization progressed as planned, and we're putting some of the savings generated back into targeted growth areas. Uh, we also recently announced a rights offering uh, backed by our largest shareholder. And uh, this, for me, is as important a vote of confidence as we could have in our strategy and the opportunities ahead. Uh, the proceeds from that rights offering are going to strengthen our balance sheet by reducing debt and enable reinvestment to grow our business. And the first benefit of this financing will be an amendment to our credit agreement, which eliminates the covenant step-downs on our term loan. And as I've highlighted in our last call, we're getting back to creativity. We're changing how we manage brands. We're taking a disciplined 360 approach when creating content to drive brand awareness and to build audience engagement. It's about becoming life cycle managers for monetizing our IP, and we have the capabilities to do so by fully integrating our business units for greater collaboration. Um, I, I should say, and I may have mentioned this before, you just never know where the next hit is going to come from. And with our WildBrain Spark platform, we can test market IP in real time and responsive way that was never possible uh, previously in linear television. And we can identify global content that's gaining views. We analyze that data and we can see the trends. And then we will partner with those content creators and IP owners wherever they are to bring content to a broader audience. So we're going to look at doing more of those partnerships, investing in digital content creation for IP that's working, and then managing that IP across all media and channels of distribution and consumer products. So it's about making sure brands and content are available on all of the platforms where kids and families are watching, and that includes AVOD platforms like YouTube, the SVODs like Netflix, and of course Apple+, Plus, linear channels like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network, and even feature films. We can get there in a number of ways, uh, but our biggest priority is proprietary content and brands in which we have ownership. And to be clear, it's a long-term play. It's going to require investment and aligning all the business units in the same direction, which we're doing. And um, that's part of our rebrand, reorganizing the, the business and improving cash flows, uh, and of course, our financial flexibility. Our rebrand from DHX Media to WildBrain has been extremely well received. Uh, we recently participated in Brand Licensing Europe and uh, MIPCOM, two of the largest trade shows for our business. The reception to the rebrand from uh, both customers and industry partners was unanimously great. Um, I, I feel they're embracing what we're doing, recognizing the greater integration across our businesses, and that's going to drive creativity. Um, our team is energized, and I look forward to sharing some of the outcomes of their hard work uh, down the road. So with that, Aaron, uh, over to you for the financial results. Thank you, Eric. In Q1 2020, revenues increased by 8% to $112.3 million, which was primarily driven by higher revenues earned from both, both distribution and WildBrain Spark. Adjusted EBITDA rose to $19.6 million this quarter, as compared to $17.3 million in Q1 2019, normalizing for the $1.8 million increase from adopting IFRS 16 in Q1 2020, and also for the $1.3 million benefit from owning a larger share of peanuts during the first part of Q1 2019, adjusted EBITDA increased by $1.8 million in Q1 2020. Also in Q1 2020, we reported a net loss of $16 million versus a net loss of $2.4 million in the same quarter last year. The higher loss in the quarter was affected by one-time reorganization charges and a higher non-cash foreign exchange loss. Cash generation continues to improve. In the quarter, we generated $18.7 million in positive operating cash flow versus a cash outflow of $10 million in Q1 2019. As Eric mentioned previously, we've taken a number of steps to improve our financial flexibility. We paid down $7.6 million on our term loan in Q1 from excess cash flow. We're raising $60 million by way of a rights offering, and we're using $50 million of the proceeds to reduce our term loan 
and the remaining 10 million less offering expenses for general working capital purposes, including potential tuck-in acquisitions that could support growth in Wildbrain Spark. We're also eliminating the covenant step-downs on the term loan to maintain a 6.75 covenant for the remainder of the term through December 2023. On a pro forma basis, the pay down from the rights offering will bring our leverage to approximately 5.14 times from the 5.66 times at the end of Q1. The rights offering is expected to close during Q2 2020. And with that, I'll hand the call back to Eric. Thank you, Aaron. So we're taking deliberate steps to position Wildbrain to realize the considerable value of our IP and brands. And as I mentioned on the last call, uh, we are not managing the business in service of quarter-to-quarter results, which you may have been used to, but to maximize the value of these assets. So building for long-term sustainable growth is going to take patience and investment. There are no quick fixes. Um, We are, however, at an important crossroads with a lot of exciting opportunities ahead, and we remain fully focused on execution to deliver for the long run. Um, And uh, with that, over to questions. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone in order to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. And your first question here comes from the line of Aravinda Galapasik from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, I see good numbers on Wildbrain Spark, uh, both in terms of uh, revenue growth and uh, and uh, and uh, views and acceleration there. Um, I, I know you talked a little bit about this in the prior call, but uh, three a uh, couple of months on, I was wondering if you had a little bit more visibility as to how sort of the YouTube policies would affect you from a revenue uh, growth trend perspective. Uh, Obviously not looking for numbers, but in terms of the shape that we should look for, I was wondering if you had any color on that. And just uh, following up on uh, some of the comments in the MDNA about the the family channel, the TV numbers, uh, you'd alluded to some contract renewals that led to um, subscriber revenues uh, declining. I uh, just wanted to confirm if it's uh, if if it's just one contract renewal with one BDU or is are all three of the major distributors now under new uh, under new uh, affiliate agreements. Thanks. All right. Thank you for the questions. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll turn this over to Josh, and uh, you know we're clearly focused on the uh, on the YouTube uh, changes uh, that have been announced and. Uh, and have some thoughts about that. So Josh can uh, can talk to you on that subject. So so first of all, we, we were really pleased with the growth in the quarter. Um, the you know 66% uh, increase in in views w- was an excellent result. Um, you know we think this is this is due to a few factors. You know, we continue to mine our library. We think we we know we have best in class optimization capabilities. We also continue to grow our paid media business as well as our production business. We also, uh, as Eric alluded to in his opening comments, uh, we know that there continues to be a flight to quality, that uh, that YouTube is rewarding quality content, and we stand to benefit from that, and that that ha- that uh, that is reflected in in the increase in views. Now, as it comes to the change in policy um, regarding advertising, we we still at this point don't have enough visibility to make a comment on on any impact. Uh, we will. We're obviously monitoring the situation closely, and we'll let you know more as we know more. Um, with that, I'll, I'll hand it over to Aaron to, to speak on the on the on the television question. Yeah, um, thanks, uh, thanks, Josh. So, Arvinda, um, what I would say is our broadcast channels are in Canada are performing well. Uh, we are continuing to experience healthy margins and consistent EBITDA, and that is our expectation going forward. Uh, what we're what we're accounting for in the quarter is our expectation on the renewal rates and what, what's expected to occur there, but we're, we're pretty far down the path on, on those, so that's, uh, that's what we're reflecting in, in the quarterly numbers. I, I would just add uh, and amplify what Josh said about the changes in uh, YouTube policy. Uh, the, the positive around this is a stabilization uh, in the AVOD market. Uh, it's been a bit of a moving target um, you know, until YouTube sorted out uh, the way in which uh, kids' content would be uh, created, uh, curated, excuse me, and managed, and I think we now definitively know where it's going. Uh, the good news to us is 
uh, that uh, you know while uh, certain changes around the metrics uh, have been implemented, what hasn't changed is the advertising load and the fact that it is an ad-based medium. And I think that for some time there was speculation about you know could this become the PBS of AVOD that definitively did not happen. And given the size of the kids' audience and who's watching YouTube and you know, just talk to the linear networks about that. Um, you know, it's it's clear to us that uh, this is a priority uh, at YouTube, and um, and you know, we believe we're going to be the beneficiaries of uh, these policy changes. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Rob Goff with Echelon. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Um, good morning, and thank you for taking my question. Um, I guess more specifically, could you talk to the large library deal with CBS All Access in terms of exclusivities that went with it, the term that went with it, and then perhaps more broadly as the follow-up, could you talk to what you see in the second round of battle between the new over-the-top competitors? Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll give that over to Josh. Uh, so I, I can't I can't comment on any specifics related uh, related to terms ar around the deal. Uh, that's obviously confidential. But um, but what I would say is as as was reflected in the announcement, uh, it was driven by Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, um, which is which is a series we're very proud of. And again, we we know in this environment quality wins, uh, and and that really drove uh, drove what we, what turned into a larger deal that included library content. So I think it also reflects that some of these new services do continue to need library, which is a great thing for us. Um, and but but it's situational, and 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 it's and it is lumpy, as we know this distribution business has always historically been. So we were the beneficiaries of the of this deal closing in the quarter. Um, what I would say in terms of the overall, you know, the second wave of of streaming wars, as you allude to, is uh, it, it, again going to be driven by premium content. Uh, original, uh, high-quality uh, uh, content and often branded content is, is what's going to uh, rule the day, and that's why we have shifted strategy over the last over the last year to focus on this. And Eric has accelerated that uh, by ensuring that we've got the resources to invest where we need to creatively. Uh, so that's where we that that's what we're focused on, and that's what we uh, that that's that's what we're going to do moving forward. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Deepak Kasha with GMP Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. It's, it's been a while, so happy to be back on the call. Um, Eric, a couple questions uh, that kind of go back to when you first joined the company. Um, coming out of the strategic review, there was a signal, I believe, of, of a desire to separate the Canadian regulated business versus the non uh, Canadian regulated side of the business. Is this still in the cards? Is still still something you guys are thinking about? Uh, yes, um, and that, that continues apace. Um, it is really about uh, delivering to us uh, financial flexibility um, and optionality uh, around the assets, uh, you know, potential financings, partners, etc., that uh, the regulated assets uh, limit. And so um, I think that there are no uh, changes afoot about sort of separating the financials necessarily. We'll continue to report as we previously have. It's really about uh, a legal structuring. It's obviously complicated uh, given the legacy libraries and copyright recordations and um, you know, CanCon and, and so forth, and we're acutely aware of those issues and want to be very, very careful uh, about how we go about it. But uh, the answer to the question uh, is, uh, is yes, we are, we are proceeding uh, to, to do what we previously announced. Okay. And then, uh, you know, being a, a veteran CEO of, of, in the animation industry, I'm just curious um, what your thoughts are on, on what long-term realistic cash flow margins can be achieved, and, and perhaps you know your view on ultimates um, for, from your past versus you know how they were dealt with at DHX. Um, just trying to get a sense of how we bridge the gap more consistently between EBITDA margin and, and cash flow margin, and wanted to get your your views on that. And then I have one one minor follow-up after that. 
So let me give that to uh, to Aaron. And you know, I, I would just say a more general statement about like you know how things have potentially changed. Uh, I can really sort of speak to the the issue of the emergence of the uh, the SPOD services and uh, these sort of one-stop shopping aspects and uh, you know more uh, of a like a fixed margin that is. Uh, included in the uh, you know in license fees paid by those uh, by those services, um, and you know as opposed to the old way in which the content was uh, syndicated, but you know it's it's really more about uh, free cash flow uh, than it is uh, on EBITDA. But I'm, I'm going to give that to uh, Aaron. Yeah, thanks, Eric. So um, Deepak, what I would say about about our business going forward is and. Uh, you know, this, Eric made this clear. We, we need to invest more in our own IP, and of course, when you invest more in your own IP, your your margins go up, and so that's really where we're very focused on. Um, and so that's what I would say going forward in the future. We would expect margins to go up as we uh, invest, and of course, that will take time. And, and I don't know that that necessarily points to changes in the industry. Uh, you know, my past experience has been. Almost exclusively with proprietary IP, and so um, that's you know old habits die hard, and that's where uh, I'm taking the company. Uh, the library is is deep and interesting, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun dumpster diving uh, in the <laughs> so. <laughs> Thanks for that. So just that minor follow up. Um, so Eric, I was at MIPCOM uh, earlier in the month, uh, last month as well. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of excitement around the new streaming platforms that are getting launched, and and you know even internationally, not just in North America. Um, For sure. What was new that you learned coming out of there that that you didn't know know or didn't expect going into to the MIPCOM events this year? Um, I mean, that's an interesting question. I'll, I'll take a piece of that and then uh, let Josh uh, take that since he oversees the distribution arm of our company. Um, I, I saw a couple of things uh, that had changed since I uh, had taken, thankfully, a hiatus for uh, two years since Universal. Uh, when I was at Universal, all of that went to their distribution division and, uh, and wasn't a part of my remit. Um, is uh, consolidation that definitely changed? Uh, you know, there were uh, quite a few dead soldiers, and uh, you know, uh, companies that weren't reappearing. Um, so I think that that's you know, there's no great insight around that. I think there continues to be consolidation. Uh, I would say that the uh, competition for quality content has actually gone up. Um, I think that you know what we alluded to earlier. Uh, the kind of arms race among the uh, SVODs has been uh, overall quite helpful to the company, um, you know, benefiting uh, both uh, the uh, production side of our company, the studio side of our company. Um, you know, as far as the amount of content that is being produced, it's increased dramatically. Um, so I think that that is, uh, is probably uh, kind of an interesting fact. Um, and um, I'd say those are sort of the two main events, uh, consolidation on the content supplier side. Um, uh, maybe one more thing that I think is happening and creating some opportunity. We'll see how this unfolds. But the, the you know, number of new entrants, uh, both, uh, as you pointed out, uh, you know, in the North America, uh, globally, but also some of the regional uh, SVODs, has created a deficit uh, for the uh, linear telecasters who still are incredibly well financed. A lot of them, you know, like the BBC and, you know, great great companies like Super RTL with whom we have a close relationship. And, you know, I think they're, you know, among the, the smartest and best telecasters in Europe. They, they need content and a lot of it is being, you know, siphoned off by the high paying uh, SVOD services. So that sort of creates an interesting opportunity as well. Um, and then lastly, the sort of recognition, uh, and it's going to take a while, of how important um, AVOD is in our services like Wildbrain Spark in really being a complementary platform to linear telecast 
in uh, driving viewership. Um, so I, I think they are complementary, and I think that that recognition is taking a little while. It's transitional, uh, but I think we're kind of getting there with it, and also that uh, AVOD in and of itself is a extremely valuable launch platform. So probably a lot more of an answer than you asked in your question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's yeah, perfect. We, that's we, we've, more we've, than welcome. We've, we've now monopolized the entire conference call. <laughs> but, you know, I can keep going if you like. That's no, I, I really appreciate the thoughtful response and, and the thoughts coming out of that conference because it's big and noisy and there's a lot going on, and it's important to get those insights and your thoughts on those. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Your next question comes from David McFadgen with Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Um, yeah, hi. Um, so maybe a clarification on the question. Just on the um, the, the TV business, uh, the, the new distribution agreement. So if I understand things correctly, it hasn't been totally set, but the quarter reflects your expectation of what the new rate would be for the full quarter. Is that is that correct? Hi, David. Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay. And then can you give us any idea of uh, what the take-up is on the rights offering outside of fine capital? Yes, yeah, so we we don't have – we don't receive the details on, on who's uh, exercising their rights, but everything we've heard has been positive, and we believe that many of our shareholders uh, intend to participate. Okay. And would you – would you know when the deal's closed? You, you should know when the deal's closed, right? Yeah, yeah. We it will close uh, November uh, 23rd, end of November. It'll it will close. Okay, okay. And then just just lastly, just on fiscal 2020, I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, uh, but I think in the past you indicated that you thought that it would be kind of a, a flat, sort of modest growth year, and I was wondering if you could give us any update on that in light of the CBS All Access deal. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to provide um, uh, guidance uh, as as we as been our as been our uh, custom, but um, but that's kind of in line of what, with what we expect for this year. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Bentley Cross with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, just two follow-ups, if I may. One for Aaron. Um, on the TV business, I'm still not entirely sure what's going on there. Is the current quarter reflective of expectations with all new BDUs or just one in particular? Is there another shoe to drop? I uh, just wonder if you might clarify that. And then for Josh or Eric, just on the distribution side, I know it's slumpy, but wondering with all these guys coming to market, uh, if you guys have any better insight than we do uh, as to when or if you might be a beneficiary of another large library deal. So thanks, Bailey. I'll, I'll answer my question first, and I'll pass it over to Josh. So yeah, I mean, all the there's no shoes to drop as far as our understanding. The negotiations are proceeding well. Um, just from an accounting perspective, we uh, record based on what we expect the renewal rates will be. We're far down the path on those discussions, and so um, and so there's really not, uh, you know, they, they reflect what we expect. <laughs> and and Bentley, just to, to yeah comment on the on the question around the new SWOT services. As I, as I mentioned, really these these new services that are popping up are focused on on original exclusive content um, that uh, that um, that's going to be driven by premium. And so that's where we stand to benefit is really on the original side. H having said that, you know there. There, there, there may be library needs for these services as they pop up, as we've seen with CBS, but I, I can't speculate on, on, on whether that's going to happen or not. Understood. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Fan with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Good morning. Thanks for taking the question. A um, couple questions. Uh, first, um, probably for for. Um, for the team is um, when when you sit back and it's been a few months, um, Eric, since you've been on the role. When you sit back and and kind of summarize, um, what so can you help us think about what a few things that you're doing differently, perhaps prior versus the prior regime, just so that we can kind of identify what was being done before and what you're doing that's different that's going to drive the changes. Um, and as you look at your business today. 
Um, are there non-core assets that you think um, are still in-house that perhaps can help you um, divest and, and help you with the flexibility on the balance sheet? And then the uh, the second question is related to um, just your comment about AVOD complementing SVOD. Um, wondering if you have a view as to how that mix may look in the non-linear world compared to the linear world, yeah, specifically like the business mix between subscription and advertising in the industry, where we are today on the linear versus non-linear and where that linear world would go in terms of the mix between subscription and advertising services. Thanks. Hmm. That's, uh, that's a lot of questions. So let me let me just start with what I uh, perceive to be different. Um, and, you know, having served on the board for uh, a little bit before I took uh, my current role, which I called Teletubby in chief. Um, so first, um, you know, I've, I've said we're not going quarter to quarter. Um, and I think that that is, you know, from a uh, financial management as well as strategic perspective is a considerable change from where the company has been. Um, I think that um, uh, in, in also taking a longer view, it has given us uh, with the rights offering, with the restructuring charges that we've taken and uh, overhead reductions, um, all that's going back in to invest in creative, uh, which I think has been, uh, frankly, underfunded uh, in the past. Um, what I'm excited about is we're delivering the best content ever in Snoopy, um, and that has drawn to the company some of the best creators in the business. Um, it's my intention to keep them with us and uh, working on uh, other content uh, from Wildbrain. Um, the other thing is uh, investment in Spark. Um, that was not possible in the past. Uh, you know, I'm taking a very close look at that business. We're giving them the resources that they need. Um, there are quite a few initiatives that I can't talk about uh, just now, but that are in the works uh, for that business unit. Um, and then uh, finally, I would say the third thing is really just um, – trying to get a bit of a symphony going among the various business units and that the integration of those units really had never effectively taken place. Uh, I alluded in the last call, and I think any observer knows that, you know, there were a series of rapid-fire acquisitions, disparate business units, uh, you know, varying geographical locations. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's about working together and meeting and, uh, I think the you know team has been terrific, by the way, incredibly supportive of working together. You know, I find them collaborative and not competitive in the best sense of that word. So I think that those are the um, uh, those are the changes uh, that I point to principally. So your next question was, uh, is uh, anything to sell, um, or, or as you put it, uh, non-core assets for divestment? Um, so uh, look. Um, Right now, I think the business units are, are integral. Uh, each serves a different purpose in the kind of constellation of assets that we own. Um, and it's not something I'm actively looking at right now. Uh, it's really about managing them and, you know, making them sort of best in breed. Uh, and then we'll sort of consider later, um, you know, what we may or may not do with any of them, but uh, at the moment uh, there are no present plans uh, in the works. Um, you know what? And I'll I'll give Josh the uh, an opportunity to to jump in here on uh, the linear and non-linear environment, those changes, and you know what the implications are for our business, and you know more generally for the industry. So I think what, what Eric was referring to earlier um, in terms of how Spark can can benefit. Um, telecasters or, or SVOD services is is that is that they're in this increasingly fragmented world. There there are uh, for linear broadcasters there's ratings challenges and for SVOD services there's discoverability challenges. And uh, the same kid who's watching Netflix then goes and watches content on YouTube, and and we think that there's 
tremendous opportunity in terms of windowing to allow AVOD to help amplify the content on these streaming services as well as on linear broadcasters. Now there's an education process with these services who are um, accustomed to looking for as much exclusivity as they possibly can, but we believe in, in kids' content, actually having different types of content in different places is a benefit for brands overall, and we're uniquely positioned to be able to uh, capitalize on that. You know, I'd, I'd add one thing to what uh, Josh has said, and I think this came up in an earlier question and is, is uh, relevant about the uh, you know, changes at YouTube, uh, which reminds me, frankly, of what happened in broadcast television as DVRs uh, came on the scene and uh, audiences were not watching, uh, you know, day and date, uh, real time, uh, yet the measurement services were sort of stuck in that metric. And, uh, you know, the uh, advertisers uh, and the broadcasters recognized what was happening. Uh, and, you know, then it went to this sort of Nielsen plus seven rating in which the measurement took place over, you know, a week's time of viewing as opposed to day and date. I see the same thing, frankly, as both a need and, uh, you know, a service that's emerging in the uh, ABOD space uh, as uh, audiences migrate to the platforms, measurement is necessary. And uh, will we drive that? Not really. Um, you know, it's going to be the advertisers, it's going to be the major media companies, um, they're not going to want to leave any money on the table, and I think that you know we will be a considerable beneficiary as those measurement services come on stream. Great, thanks for all the caller. Your next question comes from the line of Drew McReynolds with RBC. Please go ahead; your line is now open. Thanks very much. Good morning. Uh, two additional questions for me. First, a follow-up on uh, earlier topic on on the linear side maybe for you, Josh, uh, more interested in the outlook here for Linear, uh, an unprecedented amount of Elephant SVOD platforms coming on stream at a time when you're seeing a lot of cord cutting, cord shaving across the industry. What, what are your expectations for that Linear response from arguably some deeper pocketed uh, broadcasters that are, are now embedded in bigger companies? Are they going to go into you know full cost cutting mode and rationalization, or do do they double down? And second question, probably for you, Aaron, on the balance sheet, are there any leverage targets you want to throw out there? Uh, if not, maybe give us a sense of whether delevering mainly is through uh, increases in EBITDA as you reinvest in the business and or uh, are you uh, certainly uh, targeting outright debt repayment uh, with free cash flow, a uh, combination of the both, perhaps? Thank you. So, Drew, I guess I'll start first. Um, so, thanks for that question. Um, what, what I would say is we're, we're very comfortable with our balance sheet and, and the leverage. Um, we've proven, I was looking at the numbers over the last quarter, and uh, we've paid down almost $300 million of debt over the last, uh, over the last two years. And so we've made pretty significant strides there, and we will continue to do so, especially from from free cash flow. Uh, and then this quarter, as we as we noted in our release, we paid down another 7.6 million from excess cash flow. So that's where we're going to continue to do that and and focus on continuing to to lower our our leverage. Uh, but on the other side, you know, there's a balance that we have to make between growth and and the balance sheet and you know, the, the actions that we've taken has given us some financial flexibility so that we can have the opportunity to execute on our plan and, and grow our business. And so definitely we want to grow our business and grow our EBITDA and, and delever that way as well. But that's, that's in addition to continuing to use excess cash flow to pay down debt. I'll turn it to Josh. Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Drew. I, I, the... As you know, the, the, the deepest pocketed linear broadcasters are aggressively uh, going after direct-to-consumer strategy. Uh, but what's interesting is it's a dual strategy. They, they, don't want to, they don't want to give up on their linear business because they still think that that's a meaningful way that content is consumed, and, and it still generates a lot of cash. So uh, in, the, in the short to medium term, they're all trying to figure out um, content solutions that can serve 
their new direct-to-consumer offering as well as their linear offering. And that's going to mean more original commissions and more content um, that they're going to be ordering, which, which we stand to benefit from um, with, if we have, when we have great creative and, and great IP. Um, but yeah, over time, that's going to be a really interesting trend to watch in terms of how they balance their direct-to-consumer with, with what they're doing in their linear world. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Adam Shine with National Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, thanks a lot. I want to go back, Eric, to your comment on the dumpster diving in the library. I, mean, I know the re reference there isn't necessarily that it's garbage per se, but um, you know, there's been a number of comments during the course of this call in regards to you know upping the creative game. You know, the new standard. Josh just referenced you know original commissions, and so the question becomes: notwithstanding the revenue, uh, the annual revenue, uh, that's fairly material that this library continues to generate on the uh, distribution side. Um, can you speak a little bit in terms of what you're seeing in the library, um, you know, opportunities uh, to incrementally monetize it compared to what the company was doing prior to your arrival? And then additionally, you know, notwithstanding what you answered earlier in regards to status quo and not necessarily any non-core divestitures at this time, but, you know, is, is there an opportunity to kind of clear the slate, so to speak, uh, maybe sell off larger components of that library and frankly move on with, you know, the greater focus on some of the areas that I think inherently you're more excited about. Okay, interesting. Thank you, Adam. First, I, I would say, and, you know, I, I meant it humorously, um, you know, it, it is a, a process of, you know, which I've kind of done in my past jobs of, you know, taking a look, whether it's, you know, at Marvel or Universal or Classic Media, uh, DreamWorks of, like, what's in the library, um, you know, what can we uh, bring to the fore, uh, reinvent, recreate, um, and uh, so I think that that exploration has not really taken place here, um, and, um, uh, you know, brands matter. So I'm doing that. Um, and I would say that's a bit of a change from the uh, the past. The other thing is that it, it it isn't just about like making new shows. It's about managing those brands, and that's something that I think uh, has not been a you know primary skill of the uh, the company in the past, um, but I think a, a highly necessary one and an area in which I'm making an investment. So it isn't just take a show, put it on the air, and then you know uh, move on. Uh, you know, these are, there, there's a lot of care and feeding to do with these brands. I think they are highly resilient. Um, I've sort of, I've started to see work that's uh, come out of the studio that I'm, I find incredibly uh, exciting and encouraging. Um, and, you know, when I talk about that flight to uh, quality, um, I, I, I do look at that Peanuts content as the, as kind of the North Star. It is just so so good. If you haven't seen it, please do uh, take a look at it. It's uh, critics love it. Uh, you know, we're getting great reactions back. But more than that, it's been a creative magnet, and um, you know, uh, creators love great content and love working with other great creators. And I think that that is, you know, we're on a bit of a roll there, which I, I think is uh, something good. In the in the Divesting, I, I honestly, I cannot uh, fathom a scenario uh, where I would sell any IP. Um, you just don't know where the next hit is coming from, which I've said earlier, and it's absolutely true, from the most unsuspecting, unlikely places. And by having control of that IP, um, it's, you know, every bet that I've ever made is on IP ownership. Um, and, you know, um, I... I've never been dissuaded of the, the wisdom of that. So um, I think I, I don't see that happening uh, at all. That's, that is not in the cards. Anything I want to do, to the contrary, if there can be bolt-on acquisitions and additional IP that we can judiciously acquire, uh, I'm all about doing that. Um, and that comes either from pre-existing library content or the thing that I cited before um, is our radar scope at uh, Spark where we see rising content all over the world and then partner with those uh, creators 
in managing their content across the entire product life cycle. And that is something, you know, I can say honestly and, and you know, studio distributors and the larger companies are just not very good at. You have to be pretty nimble. You have to embrace partnership. Um, and I think that's not necessarily part of the DNA of those companies and offers us a, uh, a meaningful competitive advantage. Um, no, I, and, I, and I guess answer everything you, you asked. Yeah, those no, thanks for that, Eric. And I guess you know, obviously, the relief in regards to the covenant, you know, cer certainly precludes any immediate necessity to do anything in terms of divestitures. Maybe one last question, just as a follow-up, in the context of, uh, I think, back on the last call, there was some, I think, discussion around you guys pursuing a reimagining of strawberry shortcake. Just curious if uh, anything's uh, worth updating there. Josh can speak to that. Sure. So, uh, the, yeah, we're we're excited about what we what we have creatively on Strawberry. There's nothing to announce yet, but but lots of uh, lots of exciting conversations. And again, creatively, we we think we're in a good place with it. One of the things Eric did when he came in is is said let's let's take a step back and do some focus testing on it, and make sure that we what we think is good is in fact uh, going to work for our target audience and. So we've done we we've done more research with that brand than we historically have, which I think puts us in a good place moving forward. But nothing nothing to announce at this point. And nothing to announce, and I, I just want to amplify something that Josh said. There will not be a rush to market. Um, this will be a, a deliberative, managed, thoughtful process of bringing up the next big title, and uh, you know with. Uh, Less hoopla, lots of substance, great creativity, uh, allow you know an equity like this to to build and find its audience, and you know that's where we're going to get durability uh, in a brand like Strawberry, uh, you know which it's all out there in, in the public domain, but a really really big brand and you know popular worldwide, and you know I think that we you know it's incumbent upon us to to recapture that audience and introduce it to new audiences, um, you know, coming out of that focus group test. It was fascinating. Uh, very, you know, positive uh, associations, you know, moms and, uh, and girls. Uh, it's, yeah, so I'm encouraged by, by what I've seen. Great. Thanks a lot. Much appreciated. Your next question comes from Bentley Cross with TDD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Eric, just wanted to follow on uh, your thought on the building brands. Increasingly, I've heard more brands coming to you guys in the Wild Brand Spark business to help build their brands. Just wondering how sizable uh, that component is now of the Wild Brain business and also what that means for margins. Yeah, you know, I'm going to let Josh take the first part, and then um, I'll I'll hop in uh, with any comments around that. Yeah, Bentley, this kind of goes back to what um, what I was referring to earlier in terms of innovative windowing strategies and trying to amplify uh, existing brands that may have a presence on other platforms. Um, uh, brand owners are recognizing the importance of a strong YouTube offering, and, and we're best in class at it. So I think that's that's really what's that's really what's driving it, um, and. Uh, I, I, you know, I mean, over time, we think that that can unlock more value for us. But in terms of contribution margin, I, I can't can't speculate on that. Yeah, that, what I would add to it is it's sort of an interesting mix at Spark because, uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, with uh, a number of our partners, it's about monetization of library assets. For others, it's about, uh, you know, as Josh points out, amplification of the brand. And they're not particularly interested in the money that we make for them. They want that all reinvested in, you know, turning up the volume on, um, you know, on reaching audience uh, because, you know, it's toy sales or, you know, uh, uh, merchandising of a particular property. And that, that's been fascinating to me about, like, you know, what, what motivates them. Uh, the other thing that I can just sort of comment generally on, and I've seen this uh, evolving uh, in a good way, uh, which is, you know, how retail and traditional uh, channels of, uh, of, you know, licensed property distribution, whether it's online sales or brick and mortar, uh, are adapting to and understanding uh, the, uh, the AVOD market. It's like you, you can't ignore it. I mean, it is, it is huge. So as, as measurement tools uh, begin to advance, uh, but more than that, uh, as that platform is where the audience lives, 
um, you know, being there uh, becomes uh, sort of the new qualifier for uh, for a lot of brands and for retailers. It takes a while. It you know, same thing happened in cable. Same thing has happened with the SVOD services um, as the audience has shifted. Um, they're watching more and more content, and uh, you know, I think that there's an alignment that's taking place uh, between uh, you know retail consumer products and uh, and these emerging platforms. And just to add to what Eric said, um, from a CPLG perspective, Walgreens CPLG, where we where we um, are the agents for a number of brands, the working together in the integration yeah. Yeah. is uh, is proving very valuable. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, we we you know one of the things that came out of uh, the uh, you know uh, brand licensing uh, Europe show that we just came from was you know what a valuable asset Spark has become to our uh, Wild Brain CPLG clients. So we're now able to furnish data uh, on uh, you know uh, if there's related content. Uh, and we can tell them where in the world it's working and where it's not. Um, it's really about insights and, you know, not just being an agent, but really being a, you know, um, an analyst, understanding their businesses in ways that nobody has been able to do before. And then, um, you know, as we referenced uh, previously, being able to amplify those brands uh, on a global basis. So that that's really a nice, Synergy, uh, you know, if you want to call it that, um, that's taking place between those divisions, and frankly, an offering that um, I haven't otherwise seen in the market. Maybe there is one, but um, it, that would be news to me. Thanks for the call, guys. And if you ever feel like divulging uh, what the mix is of your IP versus somebody else, I'm sure investors would be happy to hear it. Okay. And there are no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to Nancy Chan-Palmatier for closing remarks. We want to thank everyone for joining us today, and we look forward to catching up with you uh, next quarter. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye now. And ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.